Friends, have um, Mark open in front of you. Mark chapter 4. That'll be good. And there's also an outline in your, um, in your bulletins. That might be helpful to have out open in front of you too, just to see where we're going. Scribble down some notes so you remember. All that sort of stuff. That'll be good. All right. How about I pray as we open up God's word and see what God has to say to us. Father, we pray that we would listen and hear. We pray, Lord, that we would um, uh, put your words into practice. We pray that you'd just calm our hearts and minds at the moment. And if there are things that we're thinking about, things that we might want to get up to this afternoon, our working week ahead, we pray that we'd put them out of our minds and so that we can just focus on you and your word now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So when Eve, my um, middle child, my lovely daughter, when Eve, and I did check that I was allowed to tell this story before I share it with you, so all above board, I'm being a good dad and a good pastor. All right, so when Eve was around six, Michelle and I thought our lovely middle child needed her hearing checked. Uh, we were a bit worried, um, concerned, I guess. Uh, we thought there was something going on, and um, at that age it was important, and so we, we, she, you see, she just wasn't responding to instructions at all. Uh, any, any sort of directions, actually. And, um, you know, we'd ask her to do something like tidy her room and, um, or put her plate in the dishwasher after we had dinner. And, and she, she would completely ignore us. And uh, sometimes we would have to ask her twice. I couldn't believe it. Sometimes even three times I would have to ask her to do those things. There's a problem with her hearing, we thought. So off I went to the specialist to get her checked out. The technician went through the tests as I sat there and watched on. Hmm, good, she said to Eve. Oh, excellent. Oh, great, Eve. Eve smiled and nodded. Well, that is a good result. And, and, oh, very sharp, very sharp. Well, how about this? Can you hear the... Excellent again, excellent, well done. And then following this rigorous examination, the technician turned to me. So um, you, you, say, you say she's not responding to your instructions. Yep, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. You say she's ignoring you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she just doesn't hear. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Yep, that's it. Well, the truth is her hearing is excellent. Yeah, 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 I know, yeah. Now, at this stage, you see, actually, probably about halfway through the testing, maybe a little bit before, I knew what was going on. You know, my darling daughter's hearing is perfectly fine. Nothing wrong with it at all. And the technician said, Mr Thomas, and at this point my embarrassment is, is redlining, um, it seems to me that her hearing isn't the problem, it's her listening. And then for the next excruciating 20 minutes, I endured a lecture on parenting from this young technician. <laughs> and I sat and I listened. And Eve, well Eve simply smiled. Yeah. Well, how's your hearing? 
Now, I'm not going to talk about whether you need to sit through some examination from an audiologist, I believe that's what they're called, as important as that may be. How's your hearing when it comes to the word of God? How's that going? See, today in Mark 4, Jesus tells a parable, and it's a, fa- it's a pretty well-known parable, isn't it? The parable of the sower, or the parable of the four soils. And he begins and ends the parable with this urgent command. He says, listen, listen. And there's an exclamation mark in the English for us. But in the Greek, in the original language, it sort of stands out big time. So it's listen, listen. It's a strong word to listen to the word of God. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So how will you respond to the word of God today? Will you listen? Will you hear? Now, there's a great mistake as we look at this parable in a moment that even preachers make, really. I I might have made this mistake years ago. Um, Us preachers, we tend to present this parable as a one-moment response. We tend to say, if you hear this message today, which soil are you? Which soil are you? But the problem is that's really not what Jesus is on about. This is the question. The question is, it's far bigger. The parable's far bigger than just now. The question is, as you look at your life, your spiritual walk, which soil are you? That's the question. Friends, I've never been a farmer. I love farmers. They're great. They're awesome. Um, I've never sowed a crop. I've never harvested one. I have grown a few veggies with mixed success. Uh, but this is what I do know, and so did Jesus, that growing a crop takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Growing a crop takes time. See, this parable is not just about how you respond today. It's about how you will respond tomorrow and next Sunday morning and next week, next month, next year, and so on. It takes time to bear fruit to grow a crop, but it also takes time for the weeds and the thorns to choke the word, making it unfruitful and eventually die. Okay, well, let's have a look at this parable, shall we? Mark chapter 4, uh, we're going to hear the words of Jesus, and then as Jesus says elsewhere, well, we're going we're to put them into practice, and we're going to apply it and see um, how God's word, we'll see what sort of See, look at our lives in a more detailed way and applying that. Okay, let's look at the, um, let's, let's read from verse 3. The famous Van Gogh painting, by the way, of the, the sower. Um, verse 3, listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that it did not bear bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60 or even 100 times. Quite a crop, isn't it? Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Well, as, ex- as is explained to us in a few moments and to his disciples, uh, this simple but profound story about the sower explains Jesus' ministry, doesn't it? What its end will be and why there are such wide-ranging responses to his message. Now, farming like this was not new to Jesus' hearers. So the farmer would simply, he's got his plot of land and he'd scatter the seed. And wherever it ended up, that's where it ended up. All different types of soils and so forth. That's how it would work. So they got it. Those people listening away, they understood this analogy perfectly well. They'd seen it done before. They'd even done it before themselves. It wasn't difficult to comprehend. They knew about seeds. They knew about soils. And they knew about harvesting. It's the reason for the sowing. You see, harvesting is all about what happens at the end, isn't it? Any farmer will tell you that. You sow a seed with the end harvest in view. That's why you sow the seed. And Jesus says in a moment that this is a parable about the kingdom of God. That is God's rule under King Jesus. And one day this King Jesus will return for the harvest. He sows the seed, which is his word, and one day the harvest will come. One day he'll return to judge. That's what the parable is about. The parable has an end time view to it. That's why he sows the seed. And then how do we respond to that seed? And so if you want to be part of the great crop of the end time, listen to the sower and hear what he's teaching. He says, be good soil, don't be bad. All right. But this parable, though, was, well, it was, it was not understood by Jesus' hearers. They were not listening and they were not hearing. And so look in verse 10. When Jesus was alone with the twelve and some others, they asked him about the parables. They didn't quite get it. And in verse 11, Jesus says, when it comes to the kingdom of God, there are outsiders and insiders. He distinguishes between the crowd, that's the outsiders, and those whom he had chosen to be with him. To those whom he had chosen, these insiders, that's the 12 and those others uh, close to him. And just pause for a minute. Notice what these insiders, the disciples, do. Don't miss that, will you? These insiders, what do they do? They submit to the word of God. So they ask Jesus questions. They listen to Jesus. They want to grow. They want to hear the word of God. And so they pull him aside and they ask. That's what insiders do. That's what followers of Jesus do. So, now to them, the secret of the kingdom has been given, we see in verse 11. Now, even though they remain with Jesus up until his death, sitting under Jesus' teaching and other explanations of the parables, it wasn't until after the first Easter, when they received the gift of the Spirit, that they truly understand. But to those on the outside, that's those in the crowds, the Jewish leaders and so on, uh, Jesus said everything in parables. Now, why did he do that? Why does he say everything in parables? Well, the answer Jesus uses comes from quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. That's verse 12 in our Bibles, marked it before. Let's go to verse 12 now. So Jesus says, uh, the secret of the kingdom of... I'll go from halfway through verse 11. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might... Some translations have, otherwise they would turn and be forgiven. That's probably a better word, I think, there. 
So for the crowds, that's the majority, those not called and chosen by Jesus, the parables, they're seen, oh, I get, I get agriculture, I get farming. They see it, but they don't really get it. They don't get what Jesus is on about. They hear it, but they don't understand it. They hear and understand the parables on an intellectual level with their heads. But these hearers, you see, they don't see themselves in the parables. That's the big mistake, isn't it? To not see yourself in these pages, in this word. They don't see themselves, it's their hearts that's the problem. They don't see themselves in, in the different kinds of bad soil. They don't see themselves, or they don't see Jesus as a sower sent by God to them. And they don't see their need before God to listen and hear his words. And that's why Jesus says to his own disciples in verse 13, you see what he says, he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any, any parable? In other words, if you don't see yourself in this one, if you don't see yourself here, then you're going to struggle with every parable I give you. You've got to see yourself here. Where are you? Where do you sit? Which soil are you? But in the end, despite Jesus' I guess, simplicity, his word has no impact on people like this. And that's why he quotes Isaiah's preaching back in the 8th century BC. See, Jesus' parables, like Isaiah's preaching, are actually a form of judgment on these people who are stubborn with God, are stubborn with his son. So it makes sense for Jesus to quote Isaiah there. Well, let's now spend a few minutes listening and hearing the words of Jesus as he explains the parable. It might have been a couple of weeks later. We're not really quite sure. Um, but he pulls them together and the disciples being insiders, what do they do? Well, they ask. They want to know. They want to submit to the word of God. They want to understand. That's what insiders do. That's what disciples do. So there are four responses to the word of God. The seed. The first one is the path. So verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. We've talked about, I think we talked about last week, didn't we? Satan will use anything to take away the word of God from our lives. Satan will do anything to get in the way of people responding to Jesus. Now, these people here, these people are probably people who have never seemed interested. The only response they've ever made is to never listen, to never hear and only walk away. It's snatched away from them. That's what it looks like. It's hard to reach people like that, isn't it? Where they don't, even, they're not, they don't care at all about Jesus. It's snatched away. Uh, it, the seed has never taken any root at all. Now, what do we do? What do we do with people like that? How, how do we know if someone falls into this category? Well, we don't, do we? We don't know. And so what do we do? What do, we, do? We, we pray for them. We love them. And we keep speaking God's word in their lives. That's what we do. What about this next response to the word of God, the rocky places? Verse 16. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, this response, although taking place over a short time, we read that, and then and we read quickly as well, uh, as trouble or persecution comes, well, it, it, uh, it, it does take longer than the first soil, I guess we could say that. So there is some time here. But we read that such people receive the word with joy at first, but as Jesus promised, following him is hard. Rejection is hard. 
And because of this, they do not last. They don't last, Jesus says, because they have no root. It's very easy for them to be pulled out of the ground, to use that analogy. They don't identify with Jesus. They don't, they don't stand up for Jesus. They don't identify with Jesus and his word. Perhaps they're drawn to a church or a ministry because of an emotional response, and that's it. Uh, but because Jesus and his word are not the foundation, when the winds blow, when the storms in life come, when it gets hard to follow Jesus... When decisions are costly, when you follow Jesus, decisions are costly. Well, their house comes crashing down. The truth is God knows their hearts, and yes, it's tragic. These are tragic stories. Because, I guess it's tragic because it's, it's, they're so close but so far. You know, Jesus says, don't be this soil. Give your heart to him, believe in him, listen, hear his word. All right, what about this final, well, well, it's the, not the final soil, it's the next soil, but it's the final bad soil, I guess, if it's a soil. It's another response to the word of God, the thorns. Uh, verse 18, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Let's notice something, let's not miss this. As the weeds and the thorns, well, the weeds at least, grow up in my garden at the moment because, you know, it's that springtime and everything's getting a bit crazy and I've spent no time in it whatsoever. Uh, Michelle has, which is great. Um, but thorns, weeds, they grow up slowly. They don't just grow up overnight, do they? It takes time. Remember that. See, we ought to hear and listen to Jesus' warning here. Don't be like this soil. The results are the same as the seed that fell on the rocky places and along the path. Tragedy. The results are the same. No crop, no harvest. The word choked out. See, the people described here place the things of the world above the things of God. And it demonstrates their hearts with God. What is a healthy heart? See, a healthy heart clings to God's word. They want to hear it. It beats fast for God. It beats fast for his word. It responds to him. But a damaged heart has trouble seeing him over the distractions and attraction of other things. It's a dangerous position to be in. Now, Jesus gives, he gives um, three examples in a sense, and really they overlap and intertwine, don't they? Just, I'll just take a drink for a minute. So you can see the three examples he uses. They do, they do overlap. Uh, like weeds, such distractions come in and they choke the word. They squeeze out life. That's what Jesus is saying with these things. And the obvious implication of that is no crop. So the first little phrase Jesus mentions here is the worries of this life. Now, what did Jesus mean there when he talked about the worries of this life? Uh, he's probably referring to wealth and money, but it's probably because he mentions that in a second. Uh, however, there are, lots of, there, there are other worries of this life, aren't they? These are things in this life that choke out the word of God in our lives and they cause unfruitfulness. 
They choke out godliness, if you like. And the, so uh, what are some examples? Uh, the pursuit of success, there's one. At work or at university, if at uni, or, or academic marks at school. When we place those things above the word of God, it chokes out the word of God. It causes unfruitfulness, the desire to be accepted. You put that above the things of God, the, the pursuit of pleasure or comfort. All those, th- those things choke out the word of God when we put them above the word of God. I'll give you another example, and I'm going to give you this example because it's something that I wrestle with personally. Okay? Um, uh, so I, I like to keep fit. I like to go to the gym, and uh, it clears my head a bit as well. Um, and I do it a few times a week, maybe four times a week, which is good. Uh, and I've, I've always liked that. I've always liked to be fit and healthy and that sort of stuff. But I was thinking as I pumped iron, um, got, <laughs> got huge, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, no, I don't do that anymore. I just try to keep it off, sort of try to do. Um, but as I was thinking of that, I, I was thinking, I, actually this verse came in my head, 1, 1 Timothy 4 verse 8, and it says, Paul says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Uh, I really should put it on my, I don't know, where would I put it? On my arm or something, you know? Uh, to remember that this has got some value, but godliness has got far more value. And I guess Paul mentions this in 1 Timothy in the context of the Roman games, uh, where those crazy Romans ran around naked and fought each other. That's weird. Um, But that's what they did. Uh, So in terms of physical fitness, you see, even back then, like today, there's a desire to look good, isn't there? We want to look fit and healthy, we want to be healthy and strong and so forth. But even those things, even that can choke out the word of God. It can be like a thorn or a weed growing up. Uh, when it takes priority over the word of God and meeting with his people. So let me give an example. This is where I, 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 I find it... Well, this is where I've been challenged through the week, okay? I do love keeping fit and physically strong and so forth. But surely I've got things mixed up. Surely I've got things muddled is a nice way to put it, but not strong enough. Surely I've got things wrong when I spend more time in the gym than I do personally in God's word. Surely I've got it all wrong then, haven't I? And the great irony is our desire to prolong life by keeping fit and healthy, um, whereas you know, the real life is in Jesus and that desire to prolong physical life actually chokes out the real life. So that's another worry of this life. Maybe that's you, maybe it's just me, I don't know. But that's, that's, that's where I'm at. You might be one of those, you might be struggling with the desire to be accepted. The, ple- the pursuit of pleasure and fame and so forth, I don't know. Okay, let's look at this second example Jesus uses as... as uh, and he speaks a lot of this, doesn't he? Remember from last week, the, the devil works in the ordinary. The ordinary, most powerfully in our culture, uh, distracting us from finding security in Jesus and trusting his word. And so Jesus mentions the deceitfulness of wealth. It's, it's not an uncommon topic of Jesus, talking about wealth and money and that sort of thing. So remember Matthew 6... Um, Jesus is speaking to the throngs of people on the mountainside and uh, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and so forth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he goes on and says, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. And 1 Timothy 
going back to 1 Timothy again, uh, Paul says, those who want to get rich fall, in, fall into temptation and a trap. There's a worry of this life, isn't it? Being wealthy and comfortable. And you fall into a trap because you find your security in that rather than in Jesus. And then he says, and to many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. And that famous verse, which is often misquoted, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I've got in my notes here, it's obvious why or how worrying about money can choke out the word of God in our lives. I don't know if it is obvious, actually, the more I think about it. Maybe it's not obvious because we keep on doing it. We keep on finding our security in money and worrying about money when we've got, a, when we've got Jesus. Wasn't it interesting, um, uh, on Thursday night, they had the, the big Powerball jackpot thingy. They never tell you, by the way, how many people bought a Powerball ticket. You notice that? It's because the odds are ridiculous and you'd work it out pretty quickly. Um, the odds of winning are absolutely crazy. But Channel 7 actually reported that, they said, and I quote, it's expected that half of all Australian adults will buy a ticket. What? Half of all Australian adults. Now, I did some research. I googled how much a ticket was. I had no idea. I thought, like, $2.50? I had no idea. It costs, uh, the, cheapest thing, the cheapest way you can get involved and buy a ticket is $14.50. $14. That's like four coffees almost, or three coffees. <laughs> or more, I don't know. It's a good dessert. Um, $14. We crave security, don't we, us humans? We crave it. We long for it. We think if we can just have this, then we'll be all okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just greed. <laughs> maybe it's just greed. Imagine for a moment, just imagine. So half of all Australian adults bought a ticket. Imagine if all those people put that $14.50 to some charity of their choice. Wow. What a difference that would make. What helps with this? I'll tell you what's helped with me when I think about the deceitfulness of wealth. Um, I try to remember thankfulness and generosity. I think they're two words that Jesus teaches about money and wealth and riches and that sort of thing. Thankfulness and generosity. If I do those two things, that really helps me to be less worried about money. Being thankful for the money he's given me and generous with the money he's given me. Okay, let's look at one more. This final example, again... It's all intertwined, you know, the desire for other things, Jesus says. So these people, this, uh, the, uh, the, the soil of the thorns, these people desire other things. Well, what's that? Well, I take it that's things other than the things of God. So they desire worldly things over and above godly things. Now, I've been speaking quite a bit in the last two weeks about, um, about this gathering the importance of church being committed to this gathering. Why? Oh, there's a few reasons, but here's three. Uh, why? Because here you hear the word of God and you respond to it and you grow in it. That's what happens here. Second, here, when we meet, we have the, we have the opportunity to encourage one another in God's word. And the Bible tells us to not give up meeting together, but actually encourage one another all the more as you see the day of Jesus approaching, Hebrews 10. And finally, here we serve, we love. Right? 
So Sunday mornings and the decision to commit to this gathering on a, on a weekly basis, we talked about too, is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. The devil does not want you here doing those things, hearing God's word and responding, encouraging one another, loving one another. He doesn't want you doing that. He doesn't want you here doing that. This is a godly thing. It's a thing from God. And we ought to make sure the desires of other things don't take place over the things of God. But we ought to remember as well that church, this, this gathering, these people, I won't make you look around each other in each other's eyes, that gets awkward, but just pretend you are, okay? These people are a gift from God to you. Every one of them. They are a gift from God to you. Church is one of God's greatest mercies, one of God's greatest gifts. What, what does it say about our hearts when we place the things of the world above these things, these things of God? So Jesus says, watch out, the harvest is coming. Okay, well he says next, finally, it's the good soil. Let's spend a moment here and we'll close with this. Verse 20. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. And this is a pretty good crop. If you're a farmer, you get really excited by this crop, by the way. A farmer told me that once. Um, some 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. See, friends, fruitfulness takes patience. Just as it does for a farmer who sows seed. It takes patience, takes time. These people here hear the word of God again and again. They accept it, they produce a crop. And I take it that means they put the word of God into practice, quoting Jesus in Matthew 7. That's what producing a crop means. They put the word of God into practice. Uh, we could just call it godliness. That'll be fine. These people are not on spiritual cruise control, just sitting back. You know, they're not there. No, no, their hearts are healthy. They're clinging to the word of God. They're actively driving. You know, they're responding. They're growing, responding to what's around them and responding to God's word. Well, let's, let's pray and uh, I'll close with these words of Jesus. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. How about I pray? And then if there's any comment or question, word of encouragement, we can have that as well. Father, thank you for your word today. Uh, Lord, it's a challenging word for all of us. We pray, Lord, most of all that we would listen and that we would hear. Lord, we pray that we'd respond to your word like the good soil. Not just now, but tomorrow, the next day, next Sunday, over the next week, month, year, whatever. Lord, help us with that. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit as we respond to your word with godliness. And Lord, we respond because of your love for us. We respond because your son has died for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.